0: Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocket. Finally, two weeks ago, the overture began and Astoria's Cascadia Chamber Opera Company emerged from the long pandemic shutdown. The new season began with a performance at the Performing Arts Center of the comic opera The Old Maid and the Thief. I talked with opera artistic director Marinas Jones-Centeno about how things went.
1: We ended up with 76 people at Sunday's performance, which was like, for opera is such a big deal and you had a
0: great audience on Friday night Friday
1: night Friday night was 50 something um, people which was just I had no idea we would have that many people I just didn't expect it so that was great it's like yay people want opera (laughs) they want to get out they want to see live performance
0: and they had a good time Um, well tell us about the show a little bit
1: (laughs) so that's one of my favorite operas Um, as you know one of the pieces that really mattered to myself and to Vincent for CCO was to make sure that whoever's watching doesn't feel like it's just way over my head. It's, you know, I have to have all this pre-knowledge. I have to be all, you know, hoity-toity knowledgeable about opera. Um, I have always avoided that. I mean, I love the dark, deep, long opera, but I also... I'm just a kid who likes to watch something that's entertaining. And I know that's what my parents were like. They (laughs) were very much like, oh, my God, when does the screaming stop? So um, to create a a performance that allows everybody to just walk away feeling like that was fun is like, yay! I feel like we were really successful with that. Well, Um, I think
0: it would put people at ease just to know that one of the characters in this opera is named... Bob.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that great? Yeah. That's what, yeah. I, I This was the show where I was like, let's not put the super titles up because all of the jokes will happen up there and people might miss it or it'll come beforehand. But um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And the, my favorite thing about this piece is that it's only an hour long. And, it, you know, Minotti, how he had such a great sense of humor is he doesn't come off that way. If you look at any of the videos where he's been interviewed or he's talking, he doesn't come off as just a fun guy. Um, But he had such great humor. And so it was really fun to work from a libretto that's just got all these great lines built into it. And then to get to, we added a few things to make it regional specific um, and to make things so that people would sort of catch, you know. Um, So it was fun to do this piece because it was short. You know, a lot of... um, you know, um, references that people would just immediately get. Anybody would get it. Um, we were a little bit nervous because it is a little bit sexist. Um. <laughs> it, it, it is, yes, it's and it's played um, over the top. Yep, yep. Um, but we thought folks will forgive us because you know it's it's silly. So yeah. 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 We should
0: mention what we're talking about is Menati's The Old Maid and the Thief. Mm-hmm. And and you played um, kind of a manipulative character in this.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leticia, um, a funny girl who... Um, so all of the actors working together, trying to figure out our characters, Right. Um, we had a lot of fun just talking about these women. First of all, the three women, very different women, who have a very, sh- the same problem. What guy? I need a guy, right? Right, right? That's the thing. And then there's this poor, hapless Bob who's just <laughs> this guy that's, you know, hanging out, thinking, oh, great, I get to live somewhere and not realizing how he's being used. Um, and so the fun of discussing that and my, one of the things that, um, I wanted to bring forward was, so who is the old maid and who is the thief? You yeah. know, that was the discussion. Um, and we never quite came to a consensus <laughs> on which person was the thief, which person was the, and I, of course, feel that, that Tisha was both the old maid and the thief, because that's the character I played. Um, But yeah, she, she seemed to be the most desperate and the most dastardly <laughs> of the group.
0: Well, tell us about the other Players in this comic opera.
1: Yeah, hmm. Chris Lynn and uh, so Chris Lynn Taylor sang the role of Miss Pinkerton, who's kind of the nosy neighbor. Um, and uh, wonderful singer, if people know the name, Chrysalid Taylor in this area. And uh, the first thing that she did with us was she sang with us uh, the role of Buttercup when we did the HMS Pinafore. And she said, Miss B, she calls me Miss B because she works with me at Tongue Point, and that's what all the kids at Tongue Point call me. She said, Miss B, I love this thing called opera. I want to do some more. So I was like, hang in there. We will find more opportunities. And then I was lucky to meet um, Anne, Bronson, who sang um, the mother from the opera with the chorale by Minotti that they did, it was called um, "Amal and the Night Visitor- Visitors."
0: Visitors. Right. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Christmas show, another
1: yeah. Minotti. Yeah. Um, and uh, so she sang that so beautifully, and I thought, oh golly, maybe she could join us for this. And she was all for it, and um, even has recommended some other singers that I can't wait to meet and bring <laughs> forward to our community. So, um, and then. Um, what came out of that was then the need to find a baritone to sing the role of Bob. And I had heard, uh, Eli singing with the North Coast Chorale as well, singing some solos. And I just said, do you want to do an opera? And he looked at me like, are you kidding? No. <laughs> um, but then he said, sure, I can try it. And, um, so we had him learn the aria when a man sings of summer, I must, he must wander again. Um, and he absolutely, um, We were just touched by his sensitivity to the piece, and so um, he said he would sing, and um, and then we started rehearsing. Ran into the difficulties of when you have an opera company that's you know like any other kind of repertory theater. You have your group of people that you know, and you know their styles, and you know how much time it's going to take, and you you know you have all of these things that kind of line up for you perfectly. Well, because we're building something from scratch. And because um, Astoria is not known for its opera culture, <laughs> um, it, it no, took No, there hasn't time. been
0: an opportunity here for a long time.
1: Exactly. Right. And so it, it, it was a process of us all getting to know how to work e- with each other, what it meant to learn a role. Um, um, because it's not the same as learning a, a piece that you read, mm-hmm. uh, a play, when it's your voice and you have to sustain pitch. It's a whole other level of complication. And so we worked on things like that, learning what it takes, learning the discipline of singing classically, learning the discipline of trying to project tone and sustain it and hold the idea while you're singing this long phrase. Um, And so it's been a wonderful experience for us, Vincent and myself, to break down that process again um, and discuss it with other singers. And then To then put it on its feet and give it life again, because you deconstruct so much to the point where you're like, "Oh wait, we got to make a show and there will be an audience." So that's um, been a really cool experience for me and Vincent too.
0: We're talking a lot about a show that's already been and gone. Yeah. And and that's strange in a way, except I think it will give people an idea of what they can expect in the future coming in in terms of the what you what you brought to this opera. Yeah. And another thing that was quite impressive about it was your Orchestra,
1: <laughs>
0: he was really good.
1: Yeah, Paul, this is the first time he's ever played a, an opera score. And this opera score, The the, Minotti, the Old Maid and the Thief, is really difficult. So normally you would get um, a reduction, um, which means a reduction from the score, where someone, whether it's the composer or an editor or whatever, will reduce from the orchestral score elements in the piece that are significant that you would hear and recognize it and say, oh, that's such and such a piece. So um, and normally they'll pull, say, for instance, there's a little flute moment that you might hear that you would recognize in magic flute. Well, that will certainly be showing up on the keyboard in the reduced score or if there's a big chord or whatever. So those things will happen. This score was horrible in that way whoever did the reduction picked the hardest stuff that they could ever find. And and Vincent even said, I never play that full score. And Vincent's a full-time classical pianist. Um, And so what Paul had to learn to do was reduce the reduction to make it um, more playable, because most of what was written was not playable. Um, So Paul did this incredible job of... um, learning to read an orchestral score to reduce it to being pianistically acceptable and it was just really fun like all of us were learning a lot um, and that's a part of this desire we have with CCO to create a culture of opera appreciation up here that it's not snobbish that it's just for real folk that it's you know people who love making music on a higher level um people who want to do stuff and entertain each other and work together and make music. Um and so that's what we what we all came away with. Um myself and the whole cast, the whole crew. So
0: we should mention that Vincent is Vincent Centeno. Yes. Who is the musical director. Mm-hmm. And I, as a performer, did you have any artistic differences with the musical director?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> who yes. happens to be your husband, which <laughs> should point out which is really funny. So yeah, we um we definitely have musical ideas. Um, One of the things that Vincent and I struggle with is um, keeping it um, professional, right? So, of course, as the husband and wife team, you know, we would make jokes, mommy and daddy are fighting again because one of us would go on a different tangent with one another or the other person. But um, I think we do pretty good um, at listening to each other. Um, having our battle, because we, we both have very strong opinions about how a rehearsal should run or how a particular strain should go of a piece. And if both of us know the piece equally well, which is really dangerous, our opinions are even stronger. <laughs> um, so, And we both know this piece really well. Um, and so we joked a lot about um, how to make sure the message that we want to come across to the new artists doesn't get covered up by our personalities (laughs) quite honestly Um, and we I think we did a pretty good job of respecting each other Um, and um, Vincent is an excellent musician and he has an excellent eye so what I really appreciated was because he knows this piece so well he also was able to think ahead about okay we really need to give a little bit more time for this action to happen Mm-hmm. Um, not all conductors think that way. Um, mm-hmm. Vincent's very, very much aware of the theater that has to happen on stage. Good. And that's that's really a lovely little gift that a singer looks for. Um, and he's also really good at um, directing the traffic, so if we made a mistake, he would say, hold for this second, Paul, or move here, Paul, or whatever, from way over in his corner. Um, so I think... Um, Vincent and I both, as the music director and the artistic director, I think we um, do a pretty good job of listening to each other um, as professionals, mm-hmm. not just um, people fighting each other, because I have certainly been involved in ensembles where the artistic director and the music director or the conductor are on very different sides of the battle, and they it's a tense rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, so...
0: We kind of started in the middle talking about the show and I I kinda of wanna back up and talk a little bit about about you mm-hmm. and where you came from and what your background is. Sure. sure. And then about the opera company itself.
1: Okay. So um, my I came from Grand Rapids, Michigan and I grew up in gospel music, church, church music. Um, sang in my gospel choirs and that kind of thing. My dad had a a gospel group um, known as the Richmond M. Jones Singers <laughs> and they traveled and they had uh, they did a lot of singing in the south um, and it was my dad and my four brothers I was the youngest six and a half years younger than the youngest of the boys um, and so I would sit on my mom's lap while they did all the singing and um, Mom would be the person who would do, introduce the group and that kind of thing. And I would just sit there just kind of watching all of this. And um, when I got a little bit older, they would let me sing with them in rehearsal, but they wouldn't let me sing with them when they actually did the performances. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I just remember getting older, joking with my Dad. It's like, I'll show you. I'm going to have a career in music, <laughs> which, of course, was just me being silly. Um but, I grew up in music, and um, so mostly in church, and then in high school I decided to start doing a little bit of vocal jazz and stuff like that, so music has always been a part of my life. But I never thought about being a classical music person Mm -hmm. as a profession. That really didn't hit me until I got into college, and when I went to um, my little tiny little community college, Grand Rapids um, Junior College it was called at the time, um, at that point, one of my teachers said, "You you really need to seriously do this more often." And I, someone
0: had to see if there was a potential in your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, uh, actually, even in high school, I had it. I was taking lessons from my high school teacher. He said, "Take voice lessons." I was like, "Okay." And he um, had me take lessons with a guy who introduced me to a piece that I fell in love with called "Summertime." And I had no idea what that piece was from or what it was about, but um, I fell in love with it. I thought it was one of the prettiest things ever, so I learned it, and I started auditioning things with it. Um, And then later on, learned that it was by a guy named Gershwin, and it was from this (laughs) opera called, and I kept saying Porgy and Bess, Porgy and Bess, and um, just kept singing that, and then started winning a competition or two here and there, and thought, hmm, this is kind of fun. Finished my... um, the two years at my little community college and decided, okay, I guess I'll go ahead and go the next level with this. Got my bachelor's at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. And by that time I was so bitten by the bug because I got cast in Cosi Fan Tutte by, and I was the only uh, student working on our undergraduate who was cast in the opera, which was really fun. Um, And I got to sing this role where I had two big arias and um, just fell in love. And then got to go to Europe to sing um, with um, a little choir that was touring um, to Scandinavia. And while I was there, I got introduced to a lot of really cool people, got to do more solo stuff. And I just I started finding how cool opera was, because of people who loved opera while I was in Europe. Sure. Um, and then, um, after I finished my bachelor's, I um, uh, went. I auditioned to do my master's and got accepted at Eastman and just was blown away that I would get accepted at a conservatory and had my full-ride scholarship and that. And just all the while, <laughs> was just getting surprised by how lucky I was that mm-hmm. these opportunities were coming to me. Um, and all along was just loving what I was learning, loving being able to express in this way that my voice did naturally, that I didn't have to work too hard at. Um, I had to work though, dear God, I had to work. Um, but um, it was kind of a surprise of how things would flow. I mean, I mm-hmm. would say, I guess I'll try this. Golly, I'd like that. Oh, it worked. That that. <laughs> I kind of was surprised a lot about how things would work roger and and i I wish I could say I was this I was sure that this is what I wanted. Um, it was more of I really would like that wouldn't that be cool if yeah and it would happen um I wish there was some other way to say it
0: That's a good thing but
1: that's that that was I felt very blessed I, I almost was going to say lucky, but I feel blessed that I would have these opportunities. Um, then I finished that. I, I, I know you want me to kind of get to the point. Um, the, <laughs> um, I would graduate from, um, uh, the program that I was studying. Didn't complete the one in, um, uh, uh, at, uh, un- uh it's University of Rochester is mm-hmm. what that is, but it's the Eastman School of Music. I didn't complete that because, um, we were getting full ride. Myself and two other students, three other students were getting the full ride. While we were there, they kept changing the program, and the person who was paying for everything was getting frustrated that um, they kept making more and more um, academic requirements. So um, that person stopped funding it, and I was like, uh, I don't have any money. Because <laughs> right. at that time, and this was in the early 90s, 90, I think it was, um, You know, it was $23,000 then yeah. for tuition. And so I was like, I don't have any money for that. So um, it just happens that I had done an audition, Um, for um, a group and singing Porky and Bess singing Summertime, um, one of my good old numbers. And um, I got uh, cast in a performance of a a European touring tour of Gershwin's Porky, and Bess Mm -hmm. with a group called the Harlem Theater Productions. Um, And so that came at the right time because I would have had to either decide to stay at Eastman and try to find money for that coming year or go on this tour. Um, I'll never forget, I went to see the, um, Dr. Engberg was his name, to say, what do I do? I have this opportunity to go and do this performance in Europe, but I haven't finished my degree. And he looked across at me and he says, are you kidding? (laughs) You you came here to have performance opportunities. Go sing. And so, um, and that touring company um, was about, off and on for about six years. Um, The longest I was in Europe um, was for about three years. Um, and it was just an incredible time, singing the same opera yep. um, and watching, again, the appreciation of the audience for good music. So anyway.
0: Well, how and when and where did Cascadia come about?
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, while, after I did that, I after I was in Europe, I would come back and moving to Chicago because I had other little <laughs> gigs in Chicago here and there in between. So what I did was I, um, when I would be at home in Chicago, I would hang out with, some friends of mine who were singers, and we started this little company called Genesis Opera, and we had a ball creating this performance opportunity there. So I came out here because I was coming to study um, and work with Eugene Opera. And um, while in Eugene, I realized again how many local artists there are who are not being hired But they like working and doing other things. They're not on the circuit of I want to be at another hotel and I want to do this other thing at this other company. They wanted to stay home and still sing. Mm -hmm. So we started Cascadia Chamber Opera in Eugene. Mm -hmm. And that came mostly out of um, solo artists like myself who were doing minor roles with Eugene Opera. Mm -hmm. Um, And same sort of thing. It's like all of these singers and we just started singing. The first opera we did was Johnny Skiki. Um, by Puccini and uh, the support for it again was people enjoyed watching opera requirements for performing Cascadia still the same in English keep it light and keep it affordable Mm -hmm. Um, and use local artists Um, and that still is the case uh, CCO is still doing the same thing Um, we changed our name to Cascadia Chamber Opera because we were just doing concert which means just stand and sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we decided uh, in, I think it was 2013, to do more staging with yeah. uh, uh, because that's an opera that you just can't stand and sing. You, you need to do more activity. So we started doing more um, work where we would uh, actually have people do more stuff on stage, more staging. And then we also brought in string ensembles. And then in 2018, we did uh, an opera that we commissioned, um, Tango of the White Gardenia, which was a tango band. Um, so that's who CCO is, always trying to just do something different, um, and most importantly, in English.
0: <laughs> well, then you, uh, at some point, moved to Astoria. Uh-huh. And did Cascadia just move with you, or yeah. how did that
1: happen? Yeah, so we, um, our home base was in Eugene, and what we did was when uh, I moved up here to work with the Astoria Music Festival, and Vincent and I both, and we still had our board pre- president and treasurer um, still in Eugene, and we didn't want to not have the company in Eugene because that's our home base, and we have all this support and people who love what we're doing down there, and we also know that there's space for us up here in Mm -hmm. Astoria. So we still have that contingency Mm -hmm. down or the contingent down in Eugene of our board president who's there, and we still do performances down there. And we're up here. Um, We've also got a friend in Salem that is creating a little, you know, a little, I guess you could call a little satellite (laughs) down in Salem and then in Bend, Oregon as well. Um, So the company has places that it regularly travels to, Um, those four, Eugene, Salem, Bend, and Astoria, and then Lincoln City. This mm. year we can't do Lincoln City, but next year we will go back to Lincoln City. But um, so we kind of exist in these places that we regularly go to when we take one of our productions, um, and then we also will always return to our senior citizen facilities um, and that kind of thing, and just present in those places because that's also near and dear to us to take opera to folks who can't or won't necessarily. Um, Pack up and go downtown to watch the opera at the theater. Um, so.
0: Well, that's one of the things on your upcoming schedule, right? You have a performance that you you set just to do that with.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's our um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan celebration because most people just recognize those songs sure. and sing along, and so that's one of the things that we know our seniors um, at the senior facilities really appreciate. So that's one of our shows, and that'll involve a different group of singers who will run around and go and sing and um, do numbers from that show mm-hmm. um, at the same time, which is really difficult, but we do it. At the same time, we'll be doing Don Pasquale, um, And that is our, we'll call that our big production because that's the one with the big singers, the big kids, who are, for the most part, pursuing a career as singers professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll involve singers from outside of Astoria, as well as De Greedy, of course. Yeah. He's singing the role of uh, Don Pasquale. Um, but then there's also um, a young tenor that we just met um, who's actually finishing his... Uh, doctoral degree at University of Oregon named Esteban Zuniga. I love that name. Um, He's our young tenor that's going to be in that. And then Jocelyn Clara Thomas and Zachary Lennox, who folks recognize from other shows that they've done before. So it's a small cast, four singers. um, And that's going to be Don Pasquale. And so those things will happen. And then the other really cool thing that we're going to have happen in the spring is we're doing in our spring, maybe summer, We're going to do a production of a new composition by a young composer from the University of Oregon named Daniel Daly. It's called The Banshee, and that'll be an outdoor production. So Mm -hmm. we're excited about that.
0: Well, what does the opera company need at this point? How how can people get involved if they want to be involved in some way?
1: Yeah, so we need everything. We need Mm -hmm. (laughs) board members. We need people who want to sing. We need people who want to help us organize. We need people who want to help us you know, figure out homestays when we're traveling from one place to another. Um, And so if you want to help us, the easiest thing to do is email me at Mm -hmm. info at CascadiaConcertOpera.org.
0: Okay, and you have a website too that people can look at? Yep,
1: and there's a spot where you can write in there too if you want to be on our mailing list or whatever, and the website is CascadiaChamberOpera.org. You can either do the do Opera dot org or CascadiaConcertOpera.org dot org, and you'll still get us.
0: And of course, you hate donations, right?
1: Ah, uh, no, we don't want any money. Um, we want to do opera for free. You know that's funny. Um, I <laughs> have um, I attended a online um, a discussion about um, grants and that kind of thing. And one of the biggest things that grantors get upset about is the lack of pay that artists receive. Mm -hmm. When people write grants, one of the things they'll say is, we don't spend much money on our artists. And that's what makes people, especially grantors, the most upset. Pay your artists. Well, what CCO is really proud to be able to say is that we don't spend a lot of money on infrastructure like buildings. We're lucky to be renters of a small space and that helps to fund the uh, needs of the Charlene Larson Center for the Performing Arts. Our money is spent on our artists and so if you want to help us keep paying our artists please send us some cash.
0: (laughs) And you can do that on the website? You sure
1: can you can send it on the website or you can email it or mail it to us at P.O. Box 1057 in Astoria, 97103.
0: Great. Well, <laughs> thank you. It's been a great to talk to you, Veritas, and, thank and you. I wish you just the best of luck.
1: Thank you so much, and thanks for the opportunity to chat about this with you.
0: been talking with Barinus Jones Centeno about the past and the future of Astoria's Cascadia Chamber Opera. I'm Roger Rocca, and this is The Human Beat. Thanks for listening.